Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next Door, and thank you for joining us today. Uh, We are very excited to get into a topic that uh, I know is a juicy topic and that you are going to like and that you are going to learn and get a lot out of. Uh, But before we do that, I wanted to encourage you to check out apologetics.org. That is our website here at the C.S. Lewis Society. So check out apologetics.org. You will find videos, articles, uh, just about anything you can think of. We're constantly updating it with new information that you can use to defend the Christian faith. And of course, if you're a skeptic, uh, you can use this to look further into the Christian faith and maybe have uh, some of your questions and concerns answered. And if you are a skeptic, by the way, uh, we appreciate you listening to this program and giving us a chance. And if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to send us an email at information at apologetics.org. That's information at apologetics.org. And a real human being will get back to you with a satisfactory answer. Well, we have a very special topic and a very special guest today, and that is Pat Thomas. He has been involved with the C.S. Lewis Society and Dr. Tom Woodward for a number of years. Uh, He has studied apologetics on a variety of levels to address questions to skeptics uh, and questions that they may have. And so, Pat, first of all, we're very excited to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. And, uh, And how have you been? Doing well. It's been a good day so far. Good to hear. Uh, And so I know we are going to be addressing a very interesting topic today and one that I have spent uh, a good deal of time in and one that I think everybody listening, for the most part, has probably wrestled with uh, or is continuing to wrestle with. And that topic is how could a good God allow evil in Mm -hmm. suffering? So how could a God who is called good allow bad things, evil things to happen? Uh, on this earth. And so you go ahead and take this and and run with it because I cannot wait to see what you are ready to say. Thank you, Nick. I think that we need to acknowledge right up front that this question, although for some is a very intellectual question, they're studying the logic and it just doesn't make sense how a good God could allow evil. But there may also be for some of us in the listening audience someone who this is a very real and now question, in other words, an emotional uh, question. And it's worth noting that those are two different kinds of questions. I want to acknowledge the reality of suffering, and I want to address anyone who is going through suffering by saying we're going to look at some of the logic in the question, and I don't want that to in any way sound dismissive to the very real emotional side of the question. Mm -hmm. So an intellectual question should be answered intellectually. It should not be answered just emotionally. But by the same token, an emotional question is not answered intellectually. That's not helpful. 
The Bible puts it this way in Romans 12:15. We should weep with those who are weeping, not give them an exhaustive explanation. Tonight, we're going to look at uh, the what is called a classic trilemma, tri meaning three. Hume uh, probably made, made this famous more than anyone else. And it goes something like this. God is all good. God is all powerful. But there's evil and suffering in the world. And it doesn't seem that those three things can go together. In other words, if God was good and powerful, he wouldn't allow evil. Mm -hmm. But if there is evil, then he must be either not good enough or not powerful enough to do anything about it. So on the outside, it seems like a contradiction. It seems like a contradiction. The three cannot exist together. And so in order to look at the Christian response to set the stage, our position is the Christian response makes the most sense in the context of a love relationship. Now, I recognize right away that that might sound uh, like we just upped the game because how could a loving God uh, allow all this bad stuff? But the, but the point is, let's break it down. The point is that in a love relationship, if you and I were created, as the Christian faith posits, that you and I were created to be invited into a love relationship, by definition, that means we have to have a choice in the matter. Mm. If if there isn't a choice, it's not really love. We have other words for ugly words for that. It's the the simple fact that we're being invited into love says that we have free will. We have to be able to make the choice. But if we have the ability to choose God, who's the definition of good, that means we have the definite the ability to choose not God, which is the definition of not good. And what I'm saying is that the existence of evil and suffering is a result of humanity's collective decisions for not God, for not good. I think it's so important that you kind of started with that. Um, I, I'm a youth pastor. I think you knew that, but if you didn't, I'm a youth pastor. Uh, it's some an example I often give my students when we're talking about anything related to the topic of, of suffering and evil. And there's so many ways to kind of ask this question um, and from so many directions, as you said, emotional and logical. Uh, but something I often tell them is, is if I forced my wife to marry me, I mean, that wouldn't be a loving relationship. That's right. Um, they're, they're, you can't genuinely love somebody uh, who, who you're forced to love. You either love them or you don't. And that that's, would just be out of obligation. That's right. That's exactly right. And so the, the ability to choose love can't exist without the ability to choose not love. One, one of the ways I illustrate this sometimes is I'll, I'll put a picture up of a uh, rather mangled uh, wrecked car, rather mangled looking thing. Maybe the door's blown out and the airbags set off and the glass is broken and it's plowed against a, a median or something. <laughs> Sounds like my car. <laughs> and the question is, why would a good and capable engineer design this car? And, of course, the answer is relatively obvious. The engineer didn't design it that way, but he did design the possibility that it could end up that way. Wow. 
You see, the engineer didn't design, he, he didn't intend for it to end up that way. That's, that's a slightly nuanced way of saying this. Nevertheless, if you and I are going to derive it with free choices, then the possibility of wrecking it does exist. So in order to make it so that you and I could drive on any terrain, that engineer included the possibility that I could wipe out on wet pavement. Or in order to make it so you and I could drive at any speed we want, that includes the possibility that we could drive too fast for given conditions and lose control. Or in order to make it so we could drive in any direction that we needed to go, that engineer included the possibility that I could plow head first into a guardrail. It turns out that free will and the concept of evil and suffering are inextricably linked. So you're kind of saying so far that uh, in order for us to actually have really not only a loving relationship with God, but a loving relationship with anybody, period, uh, there has to be the choice to reject that person as well. Uh, there has to be the choice to say, no, I, I choose not to love you. Otherwise, you don't genuinely have a choice. That's right. That's right. And yet, if that loving relationship, and, and when we're talking about God, we're talking about the ultimate love relationship, and so we're talking about um, uh, a love relationship which is for my best, in, it, 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 it is the best thing I could engage in. And so if I turn away from that, if I'm doing ungodly things, I'm introducing into the mix this thing we call evil. This, and I'm introducing into the mix the potential for others' suffering. Um, the point in all of this is that God didn't create evil. He created an opportunity for love, which then necessitated free choice which then allowed us the possibility to mess things up against what, what, as we said with the car, was the original design. Right, and even, um, I mean, there are some religions, Mormonism, for example, and, and the Jehovah's Witness, among others, um, who believe that Satan was actually uh, Jesus' brother, or Satan was um, something other than what he is. But the bottom line is Jesus did create Satan, but Jesus didn't create the Satan that we talk about today. Um, Jesus created right. a Satan that uh, Lucifer, who was not evil, he was good. He was an, an angel of high rank. And um, I mean, that's just an example of how God, we know how evil Satan is. We know that he uh, is the one who tempted Adam and Eve and, and is constantly trying to destroy God's will and so on and so forth. But God did not create a creature um, who would do those evil things. He, he created a creature who had the potential to, if he chose to, uh, because otherwise he would have simply created basically a robot. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and we'll get to in a minute. Um, there, there's a point you brought up that I want to get to in a minute, but but let's flesh this out a little bit with a little bit of from Scripture. Um, I'm thinking of Matthew seven eleven. If you then being evil know, if this is Jesus talking, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Or James 1.13, let no one say I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. It's very clear that God's not the manipulator or the origin of, of evil. Um, mm -hmm. Galatians 5, 19 through 26, some people 
may have this whole list memorized. I'm not going to quote it all, but it, it starts out saying, now the works of the flesh are, and lists a whole bunch of bad stuff, and then says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit of God is, and it lists a whole bunch of good stuff. Again, pointing to God being good. Um, John says it beautifully in 1 John 4, 16 through 18. Um, God is love. That's his summation of his understanding of God. God is love, and perfect love casts out fear. So God doesn't cause evil, um, but there's also Scripture that's very clear that God can bring good out of evil. I think of two Scriptures in particular, Genesis 50 and verse 20. Uh, you know this. Um, Joseph will say, you intended to harm me, but God turned it for good to accomplish what is now being done and save the saving of many lives. It's a it's a beautiful story. We won't uh, go into the whole story uh, right now, um, but but this man Joseph grasps the reality that maybe God didn't in, uh, cause all this to happen, but he can turn it into something good. Um, I think of Isaiah 61, and Isaiah 61 is uh, some people uh, jokingly refer to it as Jesus's job description. It's one <laughs> of those messianic prophecies that uh, Jesus himself, we're told in Scripture, gets up in the temple and reads the Scripture and then says to his audience, this Scripture is now fulfilled in your hearing. Now, they knew it was messianic, so when he said that, he, sa he was saying, I am God. Uh, but but that's another talk for another night. Uh, the point is that in this messianic job description, the, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for he has anointed me, and it goes on to list a number of wonderful things. In verse 3, it adds, you know, to console those who mourn, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The point is that beauty for ashes, that consoling those who mourn, you know, obviously he's sympathetic to the mourning and therefore wasn't the cause of the mourning. You know, the oil of joy for mourning, it says later. But that concept of beauty for ashes is a theme we see throughout Scripture that says, while God didn't want the world to turn out in such a way that there was so much evil and suffering, he can, if we give it to him, bring something good out of the evil. That's the beauty for ashes. So we never tell somebody, oh, well, God made you go through that because. But what mm -hmm. we do say is, if we bring that to God, he is so powerful and awesome that he can take it and bring something good out of it. Right. And, um, you know, what you just said made me think of a few things, actually. But one of them being that even when Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, he still wept. Yes. I mean, Jesus could have approached the family and said, oh, really? You guys, you don't believe in heaven. You don't believe I can raise them. And he didn't say any of that, though. He wept with them. Yes. Uh, knowing that not only would Lazarus potentially be in heaven one day, but also that Jesus would literally physically raise them uh, raise him from the dead right then and there but still he wept he sympathized just as he said as you reference and also as he said in the sermon on the mount in matthew 5 to mourn with those who mourn um and i i think i'm really glad that you touched on that point because i also tell my students that if you're having a discussion with somebody who's asking 
you know, why would God let this happen? And, and maybe a, a close friend or a mother or father just passed away. The last thing you want to do is give them a whole bunch of information and a logical answer right off the bat. I think it's important to, to sympathize with them first and sort of uh, be there for them because that's also part of our calling in, in addition to the logic of apologetics. That, that's right. You and I, as, uh, those of us who might study apologetics, can, can grasp the nuances of what we're talking about here tonight, but it's the application that matters. And so mm-hmm. when we're being challenged intellectually, then we say, okay, well, here's the intellectual response. And when we're seeing someone who's in the midst of suffering, we can know what the, a, a better way to respond to them and yet keep them from saying things like, why did God make, do this to me? And we can gently encourage them. God didn't do this, but he sure can bring something good out of it. And I'm, I'm going to be here with you and we're going to work through this or whatever else uh, uh, may be appropriate. I think that any discussion of a good God and evil, you know, we, we said, okay, that wasn't his intent, but it he did create the, the an environment in which it became possible. And so it's important to uh, not just stop there, but to recognize that scripturally, our time on this earth and even the time of this earth is finite compared to an eternal relationship with God. So no matter what, how we look at pain and suffering in this world, we must also look at it as something finite. Um, God allows evil for a season while he's inviting us into a love relationship. The scripture is very clear that the time that will come when that decision is, is no longer available. Um, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, uh, Revelation will say in, in chapter 21. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And the, some see in that a description, the former things, meaning this season of free will and ability to choose. Um, and then... Uh, uh, the, the scripture goes on, then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Um, it's interesting to me that I needed free will to enter into a loving relationship with my spouse, with my wife. Um, but once I said I do, I didn't need more choices. It doesn't bother me today to know how many other single women might be out there or not. I've made a choice, and that choice has, is for life. And I think what I'm seeing in Scripture is God saying the same thing. There's a season in which we get to make a choice, and then there will be a new heaven and a new earth in which that choice doesn't need to be there, and therefore the possibility of evil and suffering will not be there. And it's an interesting philosophical concept, probably a topic for another night. We have a little under five minutes left, but I'd love to flesh out this idea um, of evil only being here for season, only being really only being temporary as far as we're concerned mm-hmm. um, for us. And I think that's such an important thing to not only know and not ha- not only have the knowledge of, but to really be able to meditate on and think about. Um, that evil is not going to be with us in heaven. That's There's right. going to be a day, as you said, Isaiah 25, 8, it, and it's recited in 
um, Revelation a couple times that mm-hmm. God will wipe away every tear. That's right. And so those who are or maybe wrestling with this question, not just from a logical standpoint or or a theological standpoint, but really even from an emotional standpoint of suffering and of losing somebody or something close to them. Uh, this is all only temporary. Evil is not going to follow us. Death is not going to follow us. That's right. Um, in fact, Scripture tells us that Jesus Christ defeated death, that death is dead, as funny as that sounds. Um, but there will be a time when this season ends, and evil and suffering and pain are, are no longer going to be with those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, which, of course, we invite everybody listening to the show to do. Yes, think of there, there there's probably another point there's probably several points we could make but in the interest of time i'll just add this one more point that by the way the christian god is not a god far off aloof uninvolved in our in the consequences of the world he created um this is where the message of the cross um becomes takes on an uh, even another dimension is this reality that god when he created the world knew that by giving us free will we could choose him or not him and that by choosing any choice for not god could would could would result in evil and suffering on some level nevertheless did not stand afar off and say oh well or any other uh, any anything like that but chose mm-hmm. even then that there would be a time in which god stepped into this world took on the pain and suffering with us and for us um, so that the result would not have to be eternal, that we could still have that choice for an eternal love relationship. In Matthew, he's talked. Jesus talks as he's nearing the cross. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. You talked about in John eleven thirty five when he goes to Lazarus's tomb, Jesus wept. And, uh, you know, the, the mocking on the cross, Luke 23, 35. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. You know, he's, he endured the mocking, the rejection, the, uh, the emotional pain, let alone the physical pain. Um, that's what we see in scriptures like that. Uh, and so the challenge comes to us. Given free will, given a loving God inviting us into a loving relationship, uh, it's not enough to just see the intellectual coherency, okay, that brought about the possibility for evil and suffering, but it also brings about a challenge. What am I, Pat, doing to help good in this world or to cause pain in this world? The question is never, if I said God's not far off, but we can never allow ourselves to sit afar off from this question. It comes back, as Schultz and Nitzen said, to the heart of man. It's the, 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 the line between good and evil cuts through the heart of man, uh, is, is the way he said that. And so the challenge to, to us tonight is not just uh, how does this make sense, but what are we therefore doing about it? Wow. 
And we walk with a God who, who promises to walk through evil and suffering with us, uh, even in the worst of it. He may not do it all for us. He may not um, always take it away, but he does promise to walk through it with us. And that is such a gift that we receive freely upon putting our faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, well, Pat Thomas, once again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I look forward to having you on here again. I mean, I can't wait for that discussion. I know there's a few different topics you were discussing wanting to do, and, and that's going to be great. So thank you so much for, for being here again. And thank you for listening to The Universe Next Door. We'll see you back here next week. You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in The Universe Next Door.